This episode was brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Dave, Greg, Dan, Ian Urza, Kevin, Ashley, Blake, Joel, Brian, Amy, Ian West, and Trey. Stick around for an extended shout-out at the end. Now on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, the father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, Jackson the Son, and welcome to the ugly duckling of the Smokey and the Bandit franchise. (laughs) Oh, man. We are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we discuss. And for this episode, we are going back to 1971 for the 50th anniversary of a TV horror movie classic directed by someone named Spielberg. We are discussing Duel. I'd like to report a truck driver that's been endangering my life. In that case, I'll have to give you the police, sir. Right, well, give me the police. Sir, which department do you want? Whichever's closer. What number are you calling from? Uh, this, this number is 9821. So to do this right, we made the call, and a fellow Ohioan answered for duty. Welcome back, Mr. Greg Bench. Welcome, Greg. Glad to be here, guys. All righty. So the IMDb synopsis for Duel reads, A business commuter is pursued and terrorized by the malevolent driver of a massive tractor trailer. That is actually accurate and pretty much summarizes the entire plot, really. But uh, we'll come back, and we will talk about the writer here in a minute but uh greg when did you first see duel um uh, duel came across my path uh i'd say in the exact year i don't recall it would have been probably in the early to mid 90s um this this takes takes back and i i go long-winded with kids and just youth that don't understand how television was but there was a period of time where you didn't control what was on the television, except for you would have listings typically in the Sunday paper that would give out the full week. Or if you were fortunate enough, you had the TV guide. I know paper. Yeah. And this, you know, being a, a child of the eighties, you know, being born in 78 Spielberg was everywhere when I was a kid. And, you know, he's, he's on that short list of, of, of director icons. So I being who I am and being trying to be a completist, Duel was not always the easiest thing to find. Mm-hmm. However, AMC in its infancy, before they had commercials in between the sh- movies, they would actually show movies. And that's where it would be. Um, probably yeah. on AMC or Bravo. I know a channel that is completely different than how it was, but <laughs> Bravo used to show movies with no intermission, no break, uh, just in between the movies. And and um, it was on that list. And, and we'll, we'll go through it uh, 
about yeah. Spielberg. But yeah, this is this is this is a good start for him. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I was just watching uh, the documentary yesterday on my lunch break, Back in Time, a documentary about Back to the Future, and they talked about in the documentary that when they screened it, you know, they they didn't tell anybody. They screened it in San Jose, California. They didn't tell anybody, and this is 1985. They don't tell anybody what they're going to see. Is you, you just want a free movie ticket. You show up. So all these people show up. They don't know. There's no posters. They don't know anything about this movie. The first thing they see is a Steven Spielberg production, and the entire audience cheered. That's how big <laughs> Spielberg you know, was. That the fact that he was just producing the movie was enough to get almost a standing ovation. So, Jackson, when did you first see Duel? This was a first-time watch for me, but uh, I'll put an asterisk there because I was probably more—I was probably better acquainted with this movie going in than I am with movies I've actually seen before. Like I knew everything about this movie pretty much going in. I had seen clips and heard podcasts about it, um, so I knew exactly what I was getting into. Um, that said, I think I was misled a little bit because everybody says, you know, this is just this is Jaws, but the but instead of a shark, it's a truck, and I don't think that's true at all. This this feels very different there is another level to this movie it's it's a very different uh we get a very different protagonist it's a very different feeling to it there is suspense but i would say more than suspense this movie is focused on paranoia and whereas jaws is more just like you know what i mean like more plotting whereas this is non-stop paranoia attack on your senses so they are different they are very different movies um and i was dazzled by it i was very impressed um when i heard it was a tv movie it was steven spielberg's first feature um you know you think jaws is where he figured it out but he was pretty close with duel duel is is a fantastic use of the resources he had and uh, hearing the behind-the-scenes stories, I'm very surprised it came out this well because he had 10 days to shoot this. It was uh, originally like an ABC, you know, movie of the week. Movie of the um, week, yeah. 73-minute movie. And, you know, he came in later, obviously, and added stuff to it to make it feature length. But with, with the resources he had, um, he turned out a really artful movie, I think. I mean, it, this, this movie... I don't know. It, it it feels more like a blockbuster than some of his newer movies. It, it feels it feels higher budget than Ready Player One, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I I first um, heard about this I think from my brother Brian um, when I was getting into film and and obviously loved Spielberg because Jaws is one of my favorite movies of all time. And you can actually go back and listen to Jackson and Greg and I talk about Jaws in one of our earlier episodes, but. Um, and I, I finally, like you, Greg, I saw this on a TV rerun sometime in like the late 80s, early 90s, sometime around there. And it seems like it also was like AMC or something like that. And uh, so, yeah, and I was blown away by it then. I rewatched it today. So and I'll talk about that later. And I'll talk about we'll talk about the screenplay and the writer in a minute, because I, I think that he's underappreciated. But I want to start with the cast. Um we spend most of the time, of course, with said business commuter, uh, David Mann, uh, the late Dennis Weaver. Lived a good life, 1921 to 2006. Uh, guy had a pretty amazing life. From Joplin, Missouri, was a Navy fighter pilot in World War II. Married his high school sweetheart. They remained together until his death from uh, prostate cancer at the age of 81. Um, he got out of the Navy, was an uh, understudy in Broadway, befriended Shelley Winters who talked him into going to Hollywood, where he racked up 99 
screen credits, a lot of them on TV. He mostly did westerns, not a lot of horror credits, but he did do an episode of the original Twilight Zone, uh, the episode Shadow Play from 1961. But most people know him of this era from his TV series McLeod and from Gunsmoke. But uh, what do we think of Dennis Weaver's performance here? Greg, what do you think of Dennis? Uh, I thought Dennis uh, played a neurotic businessman exactly what he needed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I I didn't know much about his history. And after, uh, actually, upon rewatching, like the internet, you look in there, and Spielberg was moved by his performance in Touch of Evil by, by Orson Welles. And when you see his, you know, so of course I got online and found his his snippet from Touch of, Touch of Evil, and I can totally see why Spielberg wanted him for for David Mann. Yeah, he kind of builds that right, especially in the third act. You can mm-hmm. I caught I caught part of Spielberg. I, I own the Blu-ray, and Spielberg has a long interview on there about it. I only caught the first like 15 minutes, but Spielberg, you know, does say that yeah, you're right. That's why he did it, and he kind of builds exactly to that performance in Touch of Evil after being terrorized. But Jackson, what did you think of uh, Mr. Weaver's performance? I thought he was fantastic, and he wasn't at all how I thought he was going to be in this movie. I mean, you look at him, and he looks like he would be more of like a cool guy, and maybe he is that McLeod. I don't know, but yep. in this movie, he's. He's empathetic, um, but he's also awkward and sometimes infuriating. You want to scream with him sometimes, and you want to scream at him sometimes. He does some stupid stuff. uh, He he makes some leaps in logic, but also you're right there with him. Everyone can relate to this. I mean, I've never had a run-in with somebody on the road like this, but just even driving for five minutes, you can put yourself in that headspace for sure. And uh, yeah, it's 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 fantastic and interesting that you would. I guess we'll get to that later when we talk about Mrs. Man. But the Twilight Zone <laughs> that comes back later with the cast. Yep. But uh, yeah, I I thought he was good and and he he did defy my expectations a little bit because I thought you know early seventies movie guy with a mustache he's gonna be cool guy figuring it out but no he's he's a little bit more like your your everyman you can relate to him a little bit more because he doesn't know what he's doing he, you you hear that in his internal monologue he's kind of just figuring it out as he goes right and he's you know he's got it's funny because dennis weaver was um he was a political progressive he was an environmentalist you have that early scene when he's right behind the truck and goes ah pollution uh, <laughs> but um i yeah, i thought he especially did an excellent job in what i i would imagine was probably be the toughest scene to act which is in the cafe scene right where mm-hmm. he's just sitting there and he, doing the self monologue and he's just looking around it's all very physical and and um and jackson yeah you're right he makes some serious leaps in logic there but i i, I thought <laughs> he pulled it off but before we get to the star of this movie and spielberg calls us the star i do want to give a shout out to somebody again who doesn't get a lot of credit i have a lot of empathy uh for these folks having been on um quite a few sets when i lived in la the stunt man the one guy who plays the (laughs) truck driver carrie lofton played the unseen truck driver he was a legendary stunt man um, he did truck uh, stunt driving and just stunt driving, period, in films like Christine, Near Dark, and Maximum Overdrive. Um, awesome. Ranging classics to classics for a different reason there. Yes. <laughs> yes. But I loved that uh, he asked uh, Spielberg how he wanted me to play it. He goes, what, what kind of guy is this? 
And Spielberg told him, you're a mean SOB, to which Lofton, <laughs> repl- to which Lofton replied, you hired the right man, son. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it was great. But let's talk about the star of this. And even Spielberg says the star of this movie is the truck. Uh, Greg, what did you think of the truck? I. Uh, it's 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 one of those iconic trucks even when you don't know where the reference comes from at first the that big-nosed peterbilt 281 is a is a domineering truck um and i feel like he's inspired plenty of villains uh vehicle wise since then was i the only one though greg if you think about you look at that front there was one front shot especially where you could kind of it was elevated just a bit so you could see kind of the um, hood elongated Mm -hmm. and with the grill and the eyes Mm -hmm. given who steven spielberg ran around with it looks just like darth vader it does it does you can see that right i I know i oh yeah i know exactly the the moment that you're referring to and 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 what's interesting because it's you know, being invited to this show, I was just geeked out when it was a car movie. So <laughs> I, I, I read a little bit into it. And what a historical movie, um, because Spielberg, you know, with that tight budget, uh, it, he pulled miracles out with this. When oh. you watch the movie and you hear about the time that he did, he maximized his efficiency to, to the nth degree. And in order to achieve some of these driving sequences, you know, he got a hold of the the gentleman, the stunt choreographer for Bullet, and got yeah. the camera set up for for Bullet. So that's why he could get those deep, low, imposing shots of the truck. Because otherwise, he would have, you know, like he said, if he would have had to build a rig, it, that would have eaten up more time, and he would have probably had to cut part of the movie out because he would have ran out of time, and may have even been fired, and we would yeah. have had what we got from Spielberg. Yeah, and so. Jackson, what did you think of the truck? Uh, it, it looks real gnarly, and I. But I think the the real star of the the truck sequences is is the cinematography. I mean, it's shot so reverently. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, like the first time we see the truck, uh, we're approaching it from the back, from Dennis Weaver's perspective. We get this ominously slow shot. You know, it tracks around the the car, around the truck, and then out in front of the truck. I don't even know how they did that. They might have dangled somebody with a camera out the side of a car. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's so, it looks mean. You don't even see the driver. You never see the driver's face as far as I can, as I can remember. Nope. But you, you just know he looks mean because man and machine are one in this movie. And uh, it, it's a perfect choice for a car. Um, and I was watching, I, was, I think you watched this behind-the-scenes thing too, Dad. It's like yeah. called A Conversation with Steven Spielberg. Yep. Um, it's and, on YouTube. Yeah, you don't have to own the Blu-ray. The entire yep. thing's on YouTube, yeah. And he was saying that they had him cast a, a truck, basically. So he was looking at, at all the different trucks, and they were all boring. They had no personality. He saw that one, and he saw the grill, and he saw the face and everything in it. And he was like, that's me. That's a mean truck. You got the part, kid. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, he, he did that perfectly. And, um, and with it being so old, I'm sure they, they could, uh, um, I don't know, they're allowed to beat it up a little bit yeah. more. Well, they well they they uh, he said in the conversation he said it actually had a makeup job every morning like Lon Chaney or Bella Lugosi <laughs> or Boris Karloff because they were just slop just grime and stuff all over it to make it look nasty, and I love 
the multiple license plates on the front, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. Spielberg says implies that it's a serial killer. Those are yeah. his trophies. And if you yeah. notice, if you look at the license plates, of course, Dennis Weaver's license plate is California. There's not a California plate that I remember seeing. It's all other states. And so he's like, ah, California prize. And so, <laughs> you know, it, it's just, oh, man, I, I absolutely love that. And it's, yeah, it's one of my favorite uh, trucks in movies. This and the Goblin truck for Maximum Overdrive. But I, I have a soft spot for that because it's close to my house. But anyway, um, Jackson, here's a toss to you. Something Spielberg also said, they, they asked him, like, how to do this. It was, he's, he's made several statements over the years that, well, it's Hitchcock, Cat, and Mouse, all this other kind of stuff. But he also said he wanted to shoot it like a Toho monster movie with the truck as the monster. And you just did your LOTC episode on Godzilla. So what do you think of that? Oh, it's 100% that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it, it feels like that a lot, especially like Godzilla 2000 or something where it's a more realistic threat. He is, he just never stops. Um, and they could have gone the route, and I think this would have been, been a mistake, and they would have done this nowadays. They would have done this where they, at the end, it's like, oh, he was, you know, this is what motivated him. They don't do that. <laughs> he, he's not a character, right? The truck driver isn't a character. He's a, like, a force. Um, he's a driving force for the movie. Um, and I think that that's so perfect because he is like a monster. He's like he's he's sort of like the um, uh, the creatures and tremors almost where it's just like you don't know where he came from. You don't know where he's going, but he's going to call some carnage in the meantime. So <laughs> he's yeah, it's it's and that license plate thing. I've heard some people say that it's because he's trucking through multiple state lines. So he needs those plates. Um, I don't know about that. That that's not really a thing now. I don't think. But uh, but he the fact that well, he doesn't have not a according California... to yeah, not according to Spielberg. Spielberg said right. those are his trophies. Yeah. that was that yeah. was intentional. Do you hear that yeah. too, Greg? Yeah, I mean that's yeah. I mean when you look at it uh, again historically, indeed they may have had multiple plates back then. So that may be a true statement. But when you are somebody like Steven Spielberg. Everything is a detail to him. He's one of those that just loves the the, the minute details. Yeah. And he exactly has said, that's why I didn't just put one plate on it or leave just one plate. I wanted multiple trophies for the serial killer. Absolutely. Yeah. And I wondered something while I was watching this. I, I, I did a little research online. I was like, I wonder if this is the first vehicular horror movie on screen. The first vehicular horror and I went and I looked back and I went through this huge list of car movies, vehicle movies, all other kind of stuff. And the only thing I can find that predates this is to go back to the Twilight Zone episode, uh, Twilight Zone, the original Twilight Zone, Rod Serling's. There's an episode called A Thing About Machines in which a guy's car turns on him uh, back, I think it's 60 or 61. But other than that, I think this is the first. And of course, after this, we get a bunch. I mean, I think that, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, at this point, Greg, I think we also want to say there's a subgenre, right? Of vehicle yeah. horror. Yeah. I think, I think this would have been the start for that subgenre. So, I mean, if you want to start talking about the car or Christine or maximum overdrive or, or any of those incarnations or that, joyride or, or joyride, um, or even 2020's Unhinged. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. This is Unhinged definitely feels like they wanted to do, to do Duel. They couldn't get the rights to it. So they're like, <laughs> oh, let's just do something a little different. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely that same feeling or, to you it. You know, you, you have Breakdown. Breakdown, yeah. 
Um, Which Carrie Lofton also was in. Carrie Lofton yeah. also drove trucks in Breakdown. Yeah, Vanishing Point and and uh, Death Proof, Quentin Tarantino's mm -hmm. Death Proof. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything else you want to say about the truck before we come back to another connection to the Twilight Zone? Uh, mm -hmm. Just just one thing. This truck has an awesome sound to it. You know what I mean? Like oh. every sound that makes sound so creepy. It sounds like an animal. Back. We will come back and talk about the sound because, yeah, that I, we don't usually talk about sound effects, but I think we're going to have to for this yeah. one. Um, mm -hmm. Jacqueline Scott has a small role as Mrs. Man. I think that's what you're referring to, Jackson. That's how she's billed, folks. I'm not being disrespectful. She's billed in the cast as Mrs. Man. She was also in an original Twilight Zone episode, The Parallel. She was also in Empire of the Ants. Uh, the weaker brother of the Kingdom of the Spiders uh, from the 1970s. But uh, is that what you're referring to, Jackson, when you're talking about another Twilight Zone? Yep. And, and, well, and you also have Spielberg directing it. And he did, um, what was that movie called? He did one with Rob Sterling. He, like, directed a segment so, in a movie. Night Gallery. He did. That's yeah. right. He did the pilot for Night Gallery. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. So there's there's connections. This is a very Twilight Zone inspired thing. And you mentioned that vehicular horror thing from the Twilight Zone. So this might as well be a Twilight Zone segment just blown up into a feature film. And mm. Spielberg is a self-confessed uh, Twilight Zone fanatic. And so and obviously he went on to do Twilight Zone, the movie, which unfortunately is overshadowed by John Landis not taking precautions um mm -hmm. and the tragedy that that happened there I, I have to ask this it's a small part uh, but and these things do exist i've lived in in texas folks and in texas there are such things as snake farms slash gas stations those <laughs> things those things actually do exist fill up and come look at the rattlesnakes uh between dallas and abilene there are several of those things the woman running the Snake Farm gas station, Lucille Benson, uh, did anybody recognize her? Does she look familiar? No. Uh, she's Mrs. Elrod from Halloween 2. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> so if you okay. remember one of the early scenes from Halloween 2, mm -hmm. the older lady oh, who's like right. yelling at her husband, do you want this on the sandwich and all the other kind of stuff? And he's falling asleep in front of the TV and she turns around. Her butcher knife is gone and there's blood. Mm -hmm. That's her. She oh, keeps man, getting her stuff. I know. She's getting her stuff messed up. She got her knife stolen in Halloween 2. She got her cages smashed in, uh, in this movie. She's got bad luck in horror movies, man. She can't, she can't catch a break. She can't catch a break. Uh, well, it's a small cast. Anyone else we want to talk about the cast before we turn and talk about the writer? I kind of liked uh, the guy at the gas station. The the first gas station Dennis Weaver pulls into. Uh, he he was full of life. I kind of liked him a little bit. Reminds me a little bit of uh, some bit part you would see in like a 50s sci-fi movie or like a, a Universal uh, movie. I liked that. But everyone in this movie, no matter how small the part is, they work perfectly for it. There's no outliers. I mean, even like the, the child acting in the bus scene, which isn't the best, it works because it, it adds to the paranoia, you know, when He's trying to push the bus out and they're all kind of chanting. I don't know. It, there's there's something charming to it. Um, and I, I won't say that anybody in this movie other than maybe Dennis Weaver should have want like been nominated for anything. Uh, but they definitely they don't distract. All those kids, can I just say it? All those kids need needed to be put in timeout. They're a bunch of I agree. <laughs> Listen, let, you, you see it, you see a, an ominous truck at the other side of the tunnel and you're like, You're crazy, mister. No, you're gonna be dead. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'd seen enough horror movies at that age. I'd have looked at that truck and be like, hey, you know what? You guys go ahead. I'm going to go hang off this cliff for a while until that thing's gone. Uh, <laughs> I, I've seen the car. Um, anyway, all right. Um, I should say, you know, that even though IMDb wrapped up the plot pretty concisely and the cast is pretty much Dennis Weaver in the truck, um, the screenplay was written by the late, great Richard Matheson, uh, Gilman Joel Robertson's favorite. And I concur he's one of my favorites. He's a great writer. In fact, uh, I used to put I Am Legend, his book I Am Legend, I, it was required reading on my syllabus when I taught American literature at Shawnee State University. Now, his credits are too numerous to name all of them. I mean, he has done everything. Um, his books are great. His short stories are great. But as far as screenplays, I mean, he wrote The Pit and the Pendulum and Tales of Terror and Comedy of Terrors. Um, he wrote some of the most iconic Twilight Zone episodes ever, including Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. He wrote The Devil Rides Out for Hammer with Christopher Lee. He wrote The Night Stalker and The Night Strangler, which I love. Um, he wrote Stir of Echoes, Jackson, which, you know, Gilman told you to put on your watch list. Yes, still got to see it. Yep. And, and okay, I'll admit this is kind of a go. guilty pleasure. He also wrote Jaws 3D. That's what I was about uh, to say. Yeah. <laughs> Jaws 3D. Uh, yeah, that, I enjoy that movie. That is definitely a guilty pleasure of mine. Not as good as uh, some of his earlier work, but hey, he's making money. So you got to work. You got to work. I mean, what it, so, Greg, first of all, your thoughts on Jaws 3D, and then we'll get to your thoughts on Richard Matheson. <laughs> well, my, jo my thoughts on Jaws 3D is... I've always been a fan of the Jaws series, except yeah. for that last one. Yeah. But that's for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah. But yes, growing up and watching Jaws 3D on the television, recognizing Lou Gossett Jr. and, mm -hmm. and Dennis Quaid from other movies at the time, like Inner Space was, was popular yep. in 87. So, um, yeah. And I mean, it just, it was one of those movies that when you're a child or younger you can watch and kind of see the terror but yet gets laugh at the terror too because yeah. jaws 3d is just it's over the top and even without the 3d glasses you can totally tell what they were going for and it's just i i it's not i don't hate on it but yeah, yeah. i do see its place and i don't mind it it's a fun watch yeah i i actually saw it in the theater in 3d and um, it was the first 3D movie I ever saw in the theater. And like Dr. Shock, it gave me a headache. Um, but I did still <laughs> enjoy the movie. But are you a fan of Mr. Matheson's work, Greg? All the titles that you listed, yeah. I, I, yeah. I should have looked him up more. I, I read the short story in preparation for this. So, Oh, you uh, did? Oh, yeah, wow. I read, I, read, I read that today. And uh, in all honesty, it, it really plays out very similar to the short story except for the scenes that he needed to add to make it longer. To pad it for a theatrical to, release. To pad it for the theatrical release, which is the bus scene, yeah. which is the phone booth scene, mm -hmm. which is the extended opening in the beginning where he backs out of the garage. Yeah. That's all that's all the, the filler stuff. And that's not in that's not in the the short story. But otherwise, yeah, it's uh 
Yeah, it's pretty much the same. I mean, obviously, there was a little bit more tension with the movie, and there's certain sequences that last a little bit longer. But as for all the story beats, yep, it's all right there. And it's really creepy that he had a bad encounter with a truck. I mean, that's what inspired the short story, is he had a nasty road rage incident. Not as bad as this, but, but, but bad. And it was on the day JFK was assassinated. Yeah. I mean, man, oh, man, oh, man. Uh, and, and what a great way to, to write the story, though, because he recorded himself driving down the road. Wow. That's how he that's how he got the Well, he got the idea. And then before he could lose it, he was recording himself with the with the idea. So I thought that was wow. kind of interesting, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So anything else, uh, gents, about Mr. Matheson or his screenplays or anything else? Or I kind of want to read this teleplay, don't you, Jackson? I would love to. And there's some things I want to clear up. The subtitles, I watched this with subtitles, but they didn't uh, have everything. And there was one thing I was trying to figure out. So in the beginning, uh, we have uh, Dennis Weaver driving and he's listening to the radio. I get the part about the census uh, form. You know, that was really funny. The guy calling in with a prank call, basically. But then there's some guy who calls into the radio station talking about how he plays meat. Did you hear that part? When when Dennis Weaver's pulling into the gas station, there's a guy calling in talking about how he plays meat and i have no idea what he's talking about i i I genuinely have no idea Uh, i think i have an inkling but we're going to keep this family friendly anyway uh, he says says at a slaughterhouse he says pork yeah very yeah but yeah but i think there's an overtone there because there was the f you know am djs and stuff like that used to kind of push the envelope that way and even if you go back and you look at some of the like uh, Borscht Belt comics who were doing stuff. If you listen to some of their old records and stuff like that, if you, they they kind of push the envelope there a little bit. The, it's that thing where you can't come out and, and and accuse them literally of saying something lewd, but they kind of put the undercurrent there. It's like I said, you know, Jerry Lieber. When I worked for Lieber and Stoller, Jerry Lieber was always just absolutely just. You know, he loved that he got away with Santa Claus is coming home tonight, you know, by Elvis with that line. And, you know, I'll be coming down your chimney tonight. Um, (laughs) You know, he got away with that. And so they were always trying to kind of push those things and kind of play around them. So I, I, you know, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I they were kind of guilty of doing that stuff. So. So. We've got this some guy named Spielberg, uh, an up-and-coming director, who who gets this. Spielberg, at that time, had only done TV, and it's kind of a funny story. You know, he talks about his assistant coming to him and saying, hey, they're making Richard Matheson's duel into an ABC movie of the week, and I just read the story in Playboy. And he was like, you read Playboy? You know, <laughs> and she's yeah. I like the fiction. Yeah, that was I, yeah. I read it for the articles. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. yeah, okay. yeah. And uh, and and so you know, he reads it. He loves it. He kind of has to lobby to get it. There was a time when Steven Spielberg had to lobby to get a project, you know, off the ground, and he just drops off an episode of Columbo that he did to the producer. And so he gets the gig. As you said, he does this in in two weeks on location, which is pretty incredible. Um. I think we've all established that we're Spielberg fans. Greg, do you have a favorite Spielberg movie? Oh, boy. Um, my easy go-to answer would be Jaws. Yeah. Um, but 
you know, when I really start thinking, it can go from Indiana Jones, the first one, Raiders of the Lost Ark, is great. I think he built off of that with Last Crusade. Mm-hmm. Jurassic Park, it, yeah. you know, it, it it's such a solid movie. Bridge of Spies is one of his newer ones that yep. really caught me off guard that I just fell in love with. Um, catch, uh, catch Me If You Can. Yep. I saw that in theaters multiple times, and that was just a such a such a, 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 a spectacle spectacle I mean, yeah. it was so great it's so neat and you know ready player one just again it it gets right to my heartstrings because it, it deals with a lot of stuff that i remember having a, a an older brother and that you could relate to um uh, being of the same age yeah you know you know my brother was you know so if that took place in like 85 let's just say my brother was 14 which was right around the same age as Holiday. I mean, it was almost verbatim. And I think you were of similar age. Yeah. Yeah, I was um, born in 72. I My only yeah. problem with that film is it's very well made, and there are parts of it I love. My my problem is I fell in love with the book a couple same. years before I saw it, yeah. and that, that kind of soured the experience just a bit because I'm just not sure. But I still have to admit the way he shot that movie and everything I thought was incredible. Absolutely. Ben Mendelsohn in that movie was fantastic as well. And I'm yes. sure that Spielberg helped with that. Yeah, and I'm the same way. I loved the book, so it was different, and that kind of peeved me. But if you hadn't seen, read the book, I'm sure it was you know, just as good of an experience. Oh, what Jackson, your thoughts on Mr. Spielberg, favorite Spielberg movie? Well, for me, it's it's got to be... It's I mean... The easy one is Jaws, and uh, Raiders isn't even my favorite Indiana Jones movie, but it's probably, as far as quality goes, it's up there with Jaws. My favorite is The Last Crusade. Um, used to be Temple of Doom, but then I rewatched that recently, and that movie is insane. Uh, so I think it's The Last Crusade. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, he's. I don't think he's ever made an unwatchable movie. There are ones that are getting close. I mean, there's like, he did a Roll Doll and... Uh, uh, adaptation. He did the BFG, and they were all like giant CGI monsters. And I was yeah. like, "What are you? What are you? What are you doing, Stephen?" But uh, I don't think he's ever made an unwatchable movie. Of course, Catch Me If You Can is is fantastic. Um, I love that movie. He consistently turns out very watchable movies. Some of them are classics, which influence the the uh, film industry, and some are just you know like another movie from Spielberg. You know, like so, some are less memorable than others, less life changing than others. But he always turns out something impressive. Yeah, and I, I any love out there for Minority Report? I really I love like Minority. Minority Report. Yeah, me too. And you showed me that for the first time. That that yeah. is a really smart sci-fi um, yeah. movie. It, it's 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 a really good watch. Yeah. A- any love for 1941? Uh, you know, you know <laughs> what? I, I I will I will say this, Greg. There are parts of that movie I love. I just don't think it hangs together well, but there are parts of that movie that I think are really well done. I love every scene with John Belushi. Absolutely yeah. every scene with John Belushi. Um, you know, and so, yeah, and, and so there, yeah, there are parts of that movie I really like. He's, you know, it's kind of a shame. Spielberg has the same problem Hitchcock had. Hitchcock, as much as he loved doing thrillers, he wanted to do everything. He wanted to do mm-hmm. drama. He wanted to do comedy. He wanted to do a bit of everything. And almost all of Hitchcock's comedies fell flat. And I kind of like Trouble with Harry, but, you know, it didn't do very well at the box office. Um, Critics didn't exactly eat it up at the time. But Mr. and Mrs. Smith was kind of a flop for Hitchcock. And Spielberg, every time he's tried comedy, like 1941 or Always, 
didn't quite work. I, I agree with you, Jackson. They're not unwatchable. They're not, they're not terrible movies. They just didn't, it wasn't what he intended. Yeah. Uh, and, and then sometimes that just happens. A movie gets, gets away from you, but yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan. As I've said before, I got to meet him once. Um, I think I mildly offended him, which I didn't mean to do. Um, cause I brought up Jaws as my favorite movie. Jaws is my second favorite horror movie of all time. Um, mm-hmm. and it's right there with Raiders of the Lost Ark and Jurassic Park. But I, I, I had mentioned Jaws. I, didn't, I had not read the Jaws log. There was no internet at the time. I did not know that the filming was a disaster, that it gave him a nervous breakdown, all this other kind of stuff. But I had no idea. And, you know, I brought it up to him, and he literally starts rubbing his, you know, his, his forehead. And I'm like, oh, great, Matt. Way to go. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I didn't know. But, yeah, I'm a big fan. And as we said, I mean, it is, if you know anything about film, what he did in less than 13 days with this movie is really, really impressive. And and he prepared for it well. I mean, like as you said earlier, Greg, to get that rig from Boyd was a stroke of genius, you know, because it really worked really well. And if you think this through, and if you, Jackson, you probably thought this through, one of the problems with shooting a movie like this and where you're shooting through a windshield all the time is guess what you have to stop for every time. Every time you get a bunch of bug goo on your windshield, you've got to stop camera and you got to stop everything, wipe down the windshield and get going again. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and shooting out in the desert, I'm sure, wasn't good for the equipment and the actors. I mean, calls back to the hills have eyes. It reminds me of that. Um, yeah. So shooting it on location was not uh, I mean, it was smart as far as the quality went, but as far as a low budget TV movie went, the producers must have thought Spielberg was insane because, you know, it would have been so much easier to shoot this in an air conditioned set with rear projection. But, you know, I respect him for, for going the extra mile to deliver authenticity. Yeah, and I mean, he had, I mean, the production manager basically said, and if you don't know what a production manager is, they basically are kind of like the studio or the production office's kind of guy on set who's kind of reporting back. He's kind of a snitch in one way, and he's kind of reporting back, and he basically told Spielberg, he said, look, you have three days. If you're not pulling this off in three days, I'm calling the studio, telling them to fire you and get somebody else, and we're shipping this back and shooting this on the studio lot. And he was so impressed with Spielberg after three days. He's like, okay, I got your back. Let's go. Let's move forward. Like the shot of the truck going off the cliff, they had to do that in one take. I mean, we could talk about the ending at the end, but of course, reading about the ending and how Spielberg had the ending the way he wanted, um, I can't remember the stuntman's name, but the stuntman felt bad that he wasn't able to shut the driver's door when he jumped out. Oh. So... In because Spielberg was, you know, wanted that door shut so that you you think that the driver perishes. Well, when you see that it's opening up, then people think that the that the uh, driver yeah. escaped. So then, you know, and and it's like no, we all know exactly what you're going for, Spielberg. But we appreciate your your uh, attention to detail. And yeah, of course, he felt so bad that he's. You know, he he stayed on the truck longer than what he said he wanted to be. And when he jumped off, he he tried to shut the door. But (laughs) I mean, what's going through your mind anyways? I got to protect my life. And he's more worried about shutting the door. So, uh, you know, again, an an unspoken hero there. So, 
Yeah, and, and hats off also to Dennis Weaver, who did most of the driving, except for the most dangerous stunts. He did most of the driving. Um, he kind of insisted on doing it. There is kind of one major goof that Spielberg regrets. Um, Jackson, did you catch that? Uh, unless you're talking about the phone booth thing, which yes. I don't think you... Oh, yes. that is what you're talking about? Yes. Yes. You can see Steel, uh, Spielberg's face reflected in the phone booth. It's yes. pretty It's pretty obvious. And there are a couple more times you can see stuff like that. Like in the very beginning when Dennis uh, Weaver is driving, you can see like the shadow of somebody reflected in the glass in the back. Yeah. But that's the most obvious. I mean, it's clearly like Spielberg's hair and jawline reflected in the, uh, in the glass. But, but I think that adds charm to it, though. I mean, if there were no goofs in it, and this was just a... <laughs> like a seamless movie it wouldn't be as fun you know getting to see into the filmmaking process a little bit it it adds a little bit of charm to the movie i think yeah yeah i mean and there's no such thing as a i don't know of a movie without goofs maybe there is one but i don't yeah i don't know of one but anyway um well we've talked about this where we've touched on this the sound effects are pretty infamous so jackson you brought this up what do you want to say about the sound effects in duel the truck, uh, the truck, it is, it is kind of a, a, a force of nature, as we said earlier, and it sounds kind of uh, reflect that a little bit. Of course, uh, everybody knows that the shark in Jaws roars like a lion, even though sharks don't make sound like that. Right. Um, but neither do trucks, and the truck in this movie roars. Uh, apparently, I, th- I think it's 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 in world supposed to be metal scraping against metal, but it's very clearly like a bear or a lion roar when the truck goes off the cliff. Uh, and mm-hmm. I kind of like that. It kind of kind of gives credence to the idea that the truck and the man are one being. It's this like demonic kind of presence, um, and and I like it. I, I can see how that might take people out of it a little bit. How it's no longer like a, a human story. How the truck is this kind of exaggerated like comic villain. But uh, I like it. I don't know. Something about that's charming to me. And it's never bothered me either when the, the shark roars in the Jaws movies. I just, you know, it, it's Jaws. He's, maybe he's a different species that nobody's, <laughs> nobody's this, this one has the ability to transmit sound. I don't know. It's, it's whatever. Yeah. Greg, what about you? The sound effects in this movie? I think with the minimal soundtrack that they had, the sound effects were part of the soundtrack for this movie. So Spielberg... Having that innate ability to know when to put the sounds in to build that tension. So having those organic sounds of the motor, you know, downshifting, upshifting, um, Mm -hmm. heavy on the throttle, all that really plays into the tension. And I do agree with, with Jackson. I didn't mind the animal sound as the truck plummets to the ground. Yeah. And it's exactly what Spielberg wanted the viewer to see. And you get that innate ability when you see it and you're putting sound to it. It it it's kind of a resolution, but yeah, here's this monster, this beast of a truck going over a cliff. And if you're if you're analyzing the sound effect of a truck going off the cliff, I, I don't know why you would worry about it. I think it was great. <laughs> you know. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it gives yeah. it gives more credence to the idea that this is a monster movie, right? Like a Toho yeah. movie. Like uh like King Kong versus Godzilla in the original sixties movie. They go off the cliff at the end and they're both screaming. So it, it is it is kinda like that. It is the climactic monsters falling off the cliff scene. And uh yeah, I, I think it I think it works perfectly. It it doesn't ruin my immersion because this entire movie is kind of like hyper realistic. You know, there's there's a little bit of like you, you get those shots that's real up close in David Mann's face and he's he's kind it's like kind of comical. It almost looks like something you'd see in Fear and Loathing. Uh, just very paranoid shots. So I don't know. I, I it doesn't. I I I think it, it works. And and the sound design also. I mean, when the cars are driving, it's like kicking up dirt and stuff. I don't know about you guys, but I was thirsty while watching this movie. Like <laughs> watching the cars kick up dirt and watching how sweaty Dennis Weaver was. I was like, I need a drink, man. This is like I can't even imagine. Uh, being out there in the hot, being stressed out, being chased by this big rusty truck, and you're out in the middle of the desert. Oh man, yeah. Th- this and Rango make me want to get a drink of water really bad, and, <laughs> and that's that's always a good. When a movie makes you feel something like a tactile sensation, you know that movie is is, is succeeding at something. Yeah, there are a couple scenes I want to bring up. You brought up the end, which we'll talk about in a minute, but the there are two scenes I really think where the sound effects work so well to really help the score uh, the story i mean along and spielberg made the has made the statement that sound has to fit like a glove because it makes everything scarier and so for example when dennis weaver is asleep at the wheel you know he's hiding and he's falling asleep in the car and we hear that roar and it turns out to be the train it's a jump scare it is it yeah. is it's like a jump mm-hmm. scare, and it's not even a false jump scare because it's followed up by a scare, by an actual scare. So it, it it really does work. I mean, the sounds of the truck and the sound of the train, those are the jump scare things you have in this movie. The rest is just kind of building up slowly. You see it coming in the distance, but it definitely works. It definitely works to build dread. And as you said, Greg, there's minimal soundtrack in this. There are a few really memorable moments, especially at the end when he's driving around trying to lead the truck to the cliff. Uh, one thing I noticed is that there's kind of like a wind chime sound. It's, it's pretty creepy. It's, it's cool. I've never heard anything like that. It sounds like kind of maybe bottles being hit or something. But uh, the the sound, I mean, if there was a vinyl pressing of this, it would have to include like five straight minutes of trucks driving on the road, kicking up <laughs> and stuff. Because that, that is just part of it. That diesel fuel burning. I mean, that's what I think of when I think of Duel. Yeah. And it's the other scene I want to bring up real quick that where sound design is, is, is so important. One of the things I loved is that I remember the first time I watched it when when they're at the snake farm and, you know, the truck is just doing circles trying to run over Dennis Weaver and and knocking over all, you know, the poor ladies, you know, snakes and tarantulas and lizards and stuff. And it's blowing its horn. I'm like, why is it blowing? It's usually blow your horn to, like, warn somebody of impending danger, not to put them in impending danger. Um but then it hit me, that's like an animal's roar, right, when it attacks. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. love that. I thought It's that was- taunting him. It's basically yeah. taunting him. It's like, I'm coming for you. You know, you better run. You can't hide from me. I'm a giant truck. Uh, yeah, that that's that's what I got. I, I get the idea that the the truck driver was sneering the entire time. He was like, "Oh man!" And you see, he the, he uses the horn like as you know attitude. Like when he's at the gas station and the gas attendant is talking to to Dennis Weaver, he keeps honking the horn like, "Come over and service my truck. I'm trying to get out of here so I can follow this guy." Uh, so he he definitely uses the horn as his voice. That is his character's voice in this movie. He has no dialogue, but the horn speaks volumes, really. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So now anything else you want to say about the sound design, Greg? No, you guys, you guys nailed it. I mean, okay. just, just a lot of those little organic sounds and then just building off of it. Like Jackson says, the, when you get to sound design, you never know where you're going to find some of your sounds. But I mean, if you start getting into production, they get sound off of anything, um, especially with Foley and stuff. So I think that it was all utilized very well in the film. Yeah, absolutely. So this was a uh, ABC movie of the week, November 17th, 1971. And Greg, I don't know if you're old enough to quite old enough to remember this because before video stores, the movie of the week was a really big deal. Oh, no, I remember. Do you remember? Okay, so, yeah, mm-hmm. the ABC movie of the week, CBS movie of the week. Mm-hmm. It was a huge deal. I remember seeing The Jerk the first time that way, The Blues Brothers, uh, Jaws mm-hmm. 2, and Moonraker, and all this other kind of stuff. It was an event right back when before cable, right, Greg? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Get the Everybody, everybody would sit down around the television, pop the popcorn, get the the the. The, the bottles of pop out that was the few times that, uh, that we would actually get to have the the pop yeah yeah was for the the saturday night movie and then you had uh, you know even sunday night with uh, disney yep. on abc um and that was uh, yeah back in the 80s for sure and it was a big deal it was a big a real big deal i was just telling my kids about the after school special I said they don't have those anymore either because right um, everything is streaming everything is now but once mm-hmm. upon a time you had to wait for it and as you said is you you'd scan over that Sunday paper looking for what was going to be on and circling what you'd want to watch and all the other kind of stuff and the movie of the week was a big deal because typically it was a blockbuster and if you missed it in theaters or you were too young to see it in theaters well ABC or CBS they they would show it and that was your chance to see it and the whole family could watch it together because they edited out all the nudity and profanity and all the other kind of stuff mm-hmm. and it was you would sit and, and watch it. This had a uh, duel had a 33 share, which means roughly 33 million households watch this movie the night That's it crazy. came out. That's yeah. insane. Exactly. Because today, I mean, if you get two or three million people watching, that's like Game of Thrones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is but, 10 times that. Well, when there's like four or five channels to choose from, you know, what, what else yeah. are you going to watch? Really? It, it makes sense. There is an overabundance of choice now. Definitely. I, I, we, I got the tail end of the, of the movies coming out, you know, predetermined. I mean, obviously there was like, you could scroll through a bunch of like hundreds of channels, but I remember, uh, I think Clone Wars, Star Wars, Clone Wars, you and me, dad, it would, it would come on Friday nights and you would record yep. it and we would watch it the next morning on Saturday mornings. That's the close. Yep that that we had really but now there's not even really that i mean that's all on disney plus like all of it you know it doesn't release at a certain time it's just on there um so yeah we're definitely missing that a little bit we've gotten back to it a little bit there are a few shows that release weekly but even then it's like it'll come out in a time zone somewhere earlier in the world and people spoil it online you know it's not something that's just being broadcast it's being uploaded to the website so it's a little bit different yeah absolutely so Let's talk about the ending scene and our favorite scene. So what did we think of this end? We kind of saw part of it coming, right? Because they telegraphed that whole radiator hose for a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And so... 
it's mentioned right. like two or three times, and it's and it's heavy handed. Like, yeah, you should really change this radiator hose. <laughs> oh no, I'll I'll get it later. I'll get to it. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but Greg, what did you think of the ending? Uh, it, it's a satisfying ending for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it had to be any more elaborate. I reading about that uh, the producer or the executives wanted it to be more of a flaming wreckage. Right. And Spielberg uh, was deeply opposed. And I, you know, being used to a lot of the shows of the late 70s, early 80s, explosions out of cars could happen if you sneezed on them wrong. So Mm -hmm. it was just kind of more rewarding to just see this this beast just going down the cliff. You know he's not going to survive. You don't have to sit there and overthink that. You know, it's not Christine. It's not the car. It's it's just a, a massive creeper, serial killing truck. Yeah, so. and it's, I yeah I agree with that. Well, it also was, and you know, um, I think what he was also basically saying because one of the things that comes up again and again is how how can he go so fast? How can he you know? Mm-hmm. Well, but if a truck is what they call deadheading, empty. It mm-hmm. can go pretty fast if it hasn't got a governor on it. It can it can roll. And so and I think mm-hmm. also what that implied was there was no flammable anything in there. He's not working for anybody. He's out hunting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a beast. So, yeah, I love that. And there's also because there's just a tinge of suspense. Is he still alive? Yeah, that's that's the that's the good point. Yeah, I mean, there's because there's know. you're I mean, you're right. I mean, in all likelihood, this guy's certainly dead, but you don't. You know, you don't know. And of course, in horror movies, what does percentages mean? I mean, right. It's uh, <laughs> So, Jackson, what about you? What do you think of the ending? I love the ending. And if it had been like a big fireball, I would have liked it less. Definitely. It is it is way more. I, I don't want to say real. Well, yeah, realistic. It's more realistic that it would just hit and then it's dead silent. It's eerily silent to just the dripping of the blood. And uh, I, I like that a lot better. You see that shot. It's like a low angle looking up through the wreckage and it's looking up at Dennis Weaver up on the cliffside looking down at it. Kind of like a Dutch angle. And that's a great shot and all is still. And that's how mm-hmm. you know he's dead. If there had been a big explosion i would have thought okay well now he's going to come up behind him to try to push him off the cliff or whatever (laughs) but but it being all still that gave me more of a feeling that he was dead but i will say to give credence to the idea that he may not be dead i don't think you see his body you just see the blood dripping maybe he cut himself getting out and and the Mm -hmm. truck went over and then now he's just looking for another vehicle and he's going to start a rampage again i don't know it it, i would love to see i give you know what give spielberg another shot give him duel two i would love to see that (laughs) maybe we get to catch up with the snake farm lady she finally caught her iguana i don't know uh but i i would love to see a duel two although if they did a duel two nowadays you know it would be shot like a like a born movie or whatever it'd be real high intensity high octane no cut would last you know no shot would last more than 10 seconds before it cut um but real, you know yeah over, I, a real in your face soundtrack and exact dun 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 <laughs> yeah real bombastic yeah. I, I i respect this movie because it respects me as a viewer it it thrills you by putting you in the main character's shoes it doesn't you know dazzle you with super quick edits or anything it just shows you something that you feel like could happen to you it is kind of like one of those situational like survival horror movies it is kind of like that like what would i do in the situation what can he do you know what i mean like everybody talks to you they think he's 
crazy or and and a little bit of it is he's maybe a little crazy himself you know he he has some social issues obviously uh, so yeah. you know he's not going to be able to communicate himself perfectly um so i don't i it is really like something that uh it's a it's a little bit more intelligent than the poster would suggest. You know, the poster is mm-hmm. just big rig and it's Dennis Weaver screaming. You're like, oh, this is going to be epic, but it is <laughs> it does respect you a little bit. And I think the beginning, you know, you get that long build up to it. There's yeah. a long title and it's real slow and plodding. It's, it's talking about you know you get the um the radio guy and he's talking about pollution. He's talking about air quality and then later on Dennis Weaver's like talk about you know air quality, talk about pollution. Yeah. So it do, it does respect you. It, it calls back without being too obvious in your face. I don't. This is a little bit off topic, but I watched uh, Monster Hunter, directed by Paul W. S. Anderson, the other day, and there's one part where they they uh, say something. One of the characters says something, and then five minutes later, you you get a flashback of him saying that that thing that he just said five minutes earlier. Okay. Uh, like it doesn't it doesn't respect you at all. This movie respects you to to get into the character's shoes to understand them and understand what choices they're making without necessarily having to tell you beforehand what they're going to do if that makes any sense so it is that it's more than an action movie it's more than a horror movie i think it is it has a lot to it and maybe it's not as the characters aren't as interesting or as complex as jaws and you know really dennis weaver is the only person turning in a stellar performance in this everybody else is just kind of you know doing their 1970s thing but uh it, it is still a really fascinating watch yeah yeah. So let's talk about our favorite scenes. Greg, do you have a favorite scene in this puppy? Oh, I, offhand, I would say probably not really. Um, the sequence inside the diner is very yeah. effective for what it was going for. And yep. it only built after reading about the movie more on how how just it was executed so greatly. And you feel it when you watch it that it has this Hitchcockian inspiration and, and in Spielberg, it's not just Hitchcock. It's also Spielberg in this moment of making you be one with, with David Mann here or Dennis Weaver, and that you can feel his tension. Who is, you know, one of these people is the truck driver, which one is it? Is it this guy? Is it that guy? I, I can't even eat my food. I'm so worked, you know, overworked about this. I'm, you know, I go in to, to calm myself down in the bathroom and I'm thinking that the truck is gone and no, he's sitting right out in the parking lot. Where is he? Which one is he? It's it's intense. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, if I had to pick one scene, that would be it. Um, the bus sequence is kind of humorous. Yeah. Um, it's it's a little on the on the edge because the bus driver is kind of unsympathetic and you got these kids like you said they need to, to be scolded because they're jumping yeah. on the car sitting on the car and yelling at at him then he gets his hood stuck underneath the the, the bus um and all the while he's like telling them about this truck driver that's out to get him and they're like oh you're just full of it yeah and then the truck and then the <laughs> truck ends up actually helping the helping bus. the kids yeah and it's like and you're like, maybe this is all in it. It's just that constant. Maybe it is just in his head, yeah. you know? And here's this guy that just happens to be, you know, certain circumstances. Now, I was going to bring up something, and maybe it's not the best time, but I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. I, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it, but, yeah, because I had read about it. But I, I did notice it when watching it. 
during in the beginning they're talking about uh something about a divorce or something on the radio Mm-hmm. And then there's all these moments where you're feeling like Dennis Weaver's character is not very manly. You know, he's he's trying to be a manly, but he's not. And then, of course, reading about it, maybe, is, is that why he has the name Mr. Man? Oh. And then and then they they believe that he, you know, Spiel, I don't know if Spielberg came out and said it, but the the first name of David is this biblical ah, where it's David versus Goliath, Goliath being the, the giant semi-truck. And then the vehicle that he's driving, it's a it's a Dodge Valiant or a Plymouth Valiant, sorry. But they're yeah. one and the same. But it's a Valiant, which is, you know, for a strong uh, uh, knight, if you will, right. Valiant. So it's just all these little little things and I don't think it's coincidence at all. I, I, really I, do I attribute that to Spielberg. Um, and to Matheson, right? Because and the Matheson. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, totally. I They were in cahoots this whole project. and so Absolutely. No, I think you have a point. And, of course, is early on, you've got that thing where when he makes the first stop and he calls his wife and his wife's mm-hmm. just like, you know, I mean, come on, dude. You know, the guy was basically just like, they're at a party and apparently some drunk party guest was groping at her and he didn't say anything. Right. And, um, yeah, no, I think it's an excellent point. Absolutely. An excellent point. What do you think, Jackson? That, well, first of all, I want to say, yeah, that, that is, uh, uh, I think that's definitely what Spielberg was going with Mr. Man. And there, you see a couple times where he tries to display his manliness and it doesn't quite go how he wants. He puts his leg up on the thing when he's making a call. And then the the lady comes in and he's like, oh, sorry. And he puts his leg down. (laughs) He's kind of a little bit embarrassed about it. Yeah. He, you can tell he definitely tries to be like, or when he's on the road, he's like, oh, you want to play games? You want to play games? Huh? And then he's the one who's scared and backing down by the end of it. So he is definitely trying to, to, uh, maybe he feels a little offended. His wife thinks that he didn't make enough of a stand. And now for the rest of the movie, he's like, well, I'll show her how that I can, you know, be a brave man. And I think that is definitely intentional, but also, you know, this is such a, he's such a great character because he is, you want to see him succeed, but he is kind of like a little bit of a a paranoid, like lunatic sometimes. Like you get that scene. He's just crashed his car. He's got whiplash. He stumbles into the, to the diner. He goes into the bathroom and he's like inner monologuing. First time we've heard his narration so far, he's inner monologuing, wiping his face with the water. Kind of reminds me of something you see in like maniac or something. Like it seems Mm -hmm. very like eerie. Um, He's like talking real philosophically. So I was like, man, maybe this guy isn't isn't you know all there. Um, and yeah. uh, I've heard I've heard some people say he started it by trying to pass a truck driver, but I mean, no, I I don't think that really warranted such a response. From no, the truck driver. no, 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 no. But uh, I guess that would be something you'd have to be a truck driver to to really empathize with the with the truck driver in this movie. But yeah, that, he is an interesting character. He definitely is. Um, uh, maybe, maybe not as interesting as Quint from Jaws, but, but definitely, <laughs> definitely very cool. And and the fact that he is named David Mann, he's David, the archetype of man. You know, he's a he's you got the statue of David, and then he's yeah. yeah. So that is definitely definitely intentional. And I I have to say that that that's got to be my favorite scene. The scene where he's in the bathroom, he's wiping his face, he's kind of talking to himself, and then he comes out and notices they've all got cowboy boots on, just like the the driver from earlier. He hasn't seen the driver yet. He knows he's got cowboy boots, and that that would be pretty 
pretty um, yeah. nerve-wracking. That, that becomes a trope later in horror films, right? Where so many yeah. people have the same mm-hmm. shoes, going through the shoes. We see that in the, uh, the first Scream movie, right? On, oh, on. yeah. Oh, f- with Fred, the janitor? Or, or oh, you're talking about <laughs> Ghostface. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, Ghostface has a pair of boots we always see, but then we see the sheriff has those boots. And, oh, right, you know, yeah. Yeah, on and on and on and on. Uh, so... Yeah, I like I like both of the scenes with the railroad when the truck is pushing him in, and also mm-hmm. upstairs. I love love those scenes, uh, but probably my favorite is when he's trying to talk to the old couple. He's trying to get away. He thinks he's gotten away, and the truck just starts toying with him like a cat with a mouse. Typically, like literally, he's like, you know, he runs up to the truck and it just pulls away, but then it just comes back and it's just like pulls up to his car and stops and and it's just like you're not getting out of this. You know, you're not, you're not going anywhere. You're, we're going to do this. This is going to happen. And I love that scene. That is probably my favorite scene. So um, before we get to our ratings and recommendations and anything else we want to talk about, um, is this movie a candidate for gateway horror for, for younger horror fans? What do you think, Greg? I would say, yeah, yeah, I would agree with that statement because it's, 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 built on the tension and su- and suspense and it's not overtly uh, jarring for a viewer i think that they could they could relate even at a young age to this to being hunted down by a large truck mm-hmm. and then seeing and it, you know it has that rise with that fall so that the viewer even as a child will feel that relief that tension is relieved with the ending. Even if they don't pick up on all the little things, they'll still, you know, like especially with with my two kids, they would love the movie. I should have tried to have them watch it with me. But um, um, my son will, my son would just eat it up just because he just likes the vehicles as much as I do. Cool. But I really think, I mean, you know, and everybody said we talked about this, Jackson, with, you know, Amy Swan and and, you know, but it is one of those things where you have to kind of judge your kids, you know, maturity. But I think like a 10 or 11 or 12 year old average could handle this. What do you think, Jackson? I'm going to be a little bit of a contrarian contrarian here. I'm going to say no, because I think that really? something like Gremlins or Jaws would grab a kid more than this. I think if you show them this. They're going to be because they haven't driven yet. You know, they haven't driven yet. They haven't been out there on the road, on the highway. I've made the trip down several times um, from Dayton to uh, to southern Ohio. And there's just long stretches of highway that are just straight with nothing to see. And I don't if you haven't done that before. And I think everybody by the age of 20 has pretty much done that. I, I don't think you can relate as much to this movie well, uh, but with something on if you've been on car trips just uh, car trips. But I, I don't know I, not as much no, definitely not as much you could i'm sure you could a little bit if, if your family travels a lot um but uh, i don't know i think jaws would grab them and and you know there is some graphic stuff in jaws you know you get the kid eaten and quentin and quint is uh bitten into by by the shark but then again at the end of this movie you get the blood dripping um and the 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 wife mrs man talks about the guy groping her at a party so it's not all sunshines and daisies, you know. I, I think every and even grim ones. You got that scene of talking about the the dad on on Christmas and what happened to him. So not there is no gateway horror movie that's going to be completely appropriate. Um, so I, I honestly I say go with Jaws. It will be a little bit longer, um, but 
I think it'll grab them more because it, it's got a lot of characters. It's got a lively cast yeah. of characters to relate to. It's got the kid and it. You know, you get the, the uh, kids of, of Chief Brody. Yeah. Or uh, another option might be Jurassic Park. You know, something, maybe Jurassic Park and Jaws might be a good stepping stone to Duel because you introduce them to that stalking, you know, always present monster beast kind of character. Yeah. And, and you introduce them to Spielberg and then maybe introduce them to Duel because it is a little, it's very 70s. You know, you get five minutes at the beginning with credits so i i definitely think watching it now i i feel like you gotta drive and you gotta know spielberg to appreciate this movie i don't i don't know that that's well to uh, to appreciate i think you have to be older anyway but i'm with greg especially if you're like 10 11 12 years old and you're into cars and trucks and stuff like that i think it would be a cool gateway yeah, yeah. If you're if you're a, a truck guy or a car guy, yeah. Def- if you like driving movies, even if you know they like like a Fast and Furious or whatever, this might be something mm-hmm. you might be into. But but uh, I think as far as like your your kids never seen, he's not really well versed into horror movies. I I think it's Gremlins. I think it's it's you know that that kind of thing or 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 Jurassic Park. Yeah, well, it's a little bit. There's stretches, especially in the in the feature length version. You know, I've never seen the TV version, but there are stretches where it's just. Mad- it's it's David in his car looking around, paranoid, you know, and I think he might lose younger audiences. But I, I could definitely see if they like big trucks, um, if, if maybe if they've seen Jaws. Uh, th- this is I mean, it's, it's short, too. It's not that long. It's, it's definitely shorter than Jaws. So I don't know. There, I could see either side. All right. So what else? Anything else we want to talk about before we uh, rate and recommend this sucker? Greg, you got anything else, buddy? Um. It's just a few little little side notes here. Go for it. Um, I did, you know, Spielberg bringing up the car. He didn't care what color the car was, or he didn't care what kind of car it was. Mm-hmm. But he was very concerned with the color. He wanted it to be red because he said, I need this to stand out yeah. from the desert. And I thought that that was a, a great aesthetic choice. I mean, obviously, it's it's Spielberg. I'll gush over him all day long. I just I oh, grew yeah. up with the man. Um, another little side note: when reading with the trivia, uh, at the end, when he f- believes that he sees that police car, mm-hmm. and it ends up being a landscaping company. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not a police car. Yeah. 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 yeah, do, yeah. do you remember what the name of the landscaping company is? No. <laughs> it's not an easy one to remember. Uh, it's G R E B L E I P S. So oh, it's Spielberg backwards. Yeah. It's yeah. Spielberg backwards. Yeah. You know? And I thought that I was like, I didn't notice. I mean, I noticed it. And I'm looking at this landscaping company car. And, you know, when I was younger, 25 years ago, I don't remember. You know, so rewatching it for this was such a treat. And the last time I had seen it was several years ago. Mm-hmm. But again, that's not something that you're going to like look at and take huge note of. But I thought that that was really kind of cool right. with that false false hope, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, just some other movies that I had jotted down that were inspiration that I feel they were inspired by was mm-hmm. if you've seen that uh, oh, the anthology Nightmares. Which was a TV oh, movie. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the yep. Lance Hendrickson Yeah, the priest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. They, yeah. That had to have been just inspired by this movie. Agreed. Oh, agreed. Um, and then another one, well, we mentioned Joyride from 2001. Yep. And then I actually just watched Unhinge 
just uh, for this. And and it was only at the last minute that I'm thinking, huh, I wonder. Road rage. You know, so it definitely had a lot of heavy visuals. But there was actually a direct remake of this movie. And I could not find it. And I was kind of sad. But it's called Wrecker from 2015. Uh-huh. And it deals with actually two girls that are driving a red car and they're being pursued by a very rusty tow truck. And I watched the trailer and I mean, they're not kidding when they say it's beat for beat, this movie. Um, Even from the trailer, you can tell that they're helping a bus of kids. And of course, you don't. It's just a snippet. But they have the phone booth. And inside the trailer, and I'm just like laughing, like I gotta see this, I gotta find this movie. Oh, but wow, I I couldn't find it, but that's okay. Um, outside of that, uh, you know, no, I really enjoyed being on the show, and you know, I'll hear your final thoughts. But I just wanted to throw that out there while I had a moment. That's great. So, Jackson, what about you? Anything you want to bring up before we rate and re- recommend this sucker? I just got to say really quick, with that landscaping car, I just thought about that. That's Spielberg's second directorial cameo in the movie with the name of the <laughs> landscaping company. First is the phone booth. Second one is the landscaping car. Neither are direct cameos, but darn it, I'll count them. That was his, mm-hmm. that was his Hitchcock uh, cameo. Yeah. Um, second thing I want to say, I was just thinking about it. You know, We've been talking about the behind-the-scenes stuff. Think about how many road closures and how many permits they needed to make this movie. They were shooting this on location, and those those like California roads, those are kind of like the only way to get to certain places. So they had to like close those things down. Yeah, I I would imagine that would be pretty stressful. Like you're on those like tight little roads. You probably got somebody flagging them at the at the bottom of the road, and then you've got these giant trucks barreling down. So that must have been a really complicated. I don't know why Spielberg didn't shoot this on a studio. Holy crap, dude! <laughs> it's like he wants he wants to go over budget. He wants to make the the producers mad. <laughs> Adam, just so he can make a better movie. Gosh, uh, but yeah, I, I just he thought about hates shooting on a studio lot. He's the exact opposite of Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Hitchcock hated shooting on location. Spielberg hates shooting on a studio lot. He loves to shoot on location because he thinks that studio lots just look fake and he can't stand it. So that's why he did it. But uh, yeah, I get it. But um, so, what are we going to rate this sucker and what kind of recommendation are we going to give it uh, uh, rental or buy Greg on a scale of one to 10, what would you rate dual? Uh, I'm going with an eight out of 10. I just, it's, it's a, it's a stellar movie for, for me in my eyes. Um, it really lays the groundwork for Spielberg's career. So if, if you're a Spielberg fan, this is a must see. If you're a fan of 70s movies, especially the vehicle movies, this is you mm-hmm. know, the granddaddy of them, if you will. You, you can't feel any any other movie but this uh, for being a road movie. You know, This is different than other road movies. This is a, a revenge uh, road rage road movie. So yep. I, I just have to give it the, 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 a thumbs up. And now it's not perfect, so it didn't get that 10. And because of little things that you know, outside of Spielberg's control, it just it just wasn't at that nine for me. So it's 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 holding right at that eight. And I'd say if you can find it and if you like it, definitely buy it. Otherwise, definitely if it comes across your path, 
take the time, the hour and a half to view it because it's worthwhile. Gotcha. Jackson, what about you, buddy? I'm right along there with you, Greg. I'm giving this one an 8 out of 10. This was, you know, I was like halfway through it, and I was like, yeah, this is maybe a 7. I don't know. But then that that last act, it really ramps things up. I think it takes it to an 8. Uh, I agree it's it's not a 9. I don't think it's it's that as groundbreaking or mind-blowing, something like Close Encounters of the Last Crusade. It doesn't, it doesn't like... Uh, challenge you as much as some of his like more interesting works i would say it is very simple it's simple and entertaining but i think that's what i needed right now so eight out of ten i for an early 70s tv movie though this is pretty much as close as you can get to perfect i mean come on 71 tv movie shot shot on such a short schedule this is superb i mean this is crazy that they got this done uh but as far as spielberg movies like theatrical movies go i this is this is around the middle tier for me it's not bad uh and no i mean no movie spielberg has made is like i said is unwatchable but this is towards the top of the middle it's not as as mind-blowing as this late 70s and and 80s blockbusters but it's a good time and you can definitely see the early fingerprints of spielberg i will say the one my major problem with it that font during the credits holy crap that that is so 1971 <laughs> i i thought i was credit yeah, yeah television credits and they're like real like 70s like like blocky mm-hmm. like psychedelic i thought i was watching like the first five minutes the credits i thought there was some kind of like weird prelude to listen to the flower people music video by spinal <laughs> tap i was like what is going on here i'd never seen steven spielberg's name and in, in that in that psychedelic font but uh yeah i don't know it, it, it's an eight out of ten it might go up on future viewings and i definitely definitely have more to think about now with all that imagery with david and everything it it there is definitely a lot of thought behind it yep and so folks stick around to find out what our next episode will be about and we want to thank our supporters on patreon you can join for as little as two dollars and fifty cents a month and you can vote on our upcoming horror oscar award show um and we'll be tallying those votes right up to the time we record here in a couple weeks so uh we don't even know who the winners are going to be do we jackson it's close. There are a couple of them where it's it's if you're tied or really close. There is time for change. That is definitely a possibility. Oh, Dad, what did you rate? Um, Duel, by the way. What? It, what oh, yes. I, well, I'm right there with you, which is why I didn't jump in. I'm at an eight oh, out of okay. ten, and I say absolutely. I'm with Greg. I think it's worth watching this, and if you like it, buy it. I own it, and I I, I think it's I think it's worth it. And there was a there was a time I've owned this for a while. There was a time when it was like a three ninety nine rental or five ninety nine Blu ray purchase. <laughs> I was like, ah, heck with, it. I'm just gonna buy it. I mean, so, and that's what I did. And if you can find it for that cheap, or you can find it in a bin or something like that, then blind buy it and just pick it up. So thank you for reminding me of that Jackson, but. Um, if you become a Patreon supporter, you'll have access to exclusive episodes, videos made by Jackson, um, suggest episode uh, themes or movies. You can be on the show. You can find uh, more from this show on fatherandsonwatchhorror.com. We also are on Twitter and Instagram. We have a closed Facebook group. Greg, sir, thank you for being on. Where can they find you online? You know, I'm everywhere. <laughs> So, uh, you guys, you guys, uh, if, if you're a follower of the show, you'll see me making comments or liking their posts. So that's, that's the best place to find me. Um, Greg is on Twitter and he's on Facebook. Yep. 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 And and you guys are just always so uh, accommodating on there and so welcoming. And I appreciate being on the show. So 
yeah, Absolutely. being a fan, but then getting to be on is is just the the sweetest deal and so awesome. So, well, you I, always I, bring it, and you brought it today, my friend. I'm good. I hope so. I always get worked up, but no, uh, you did pick a good subject. You picked Duel, and who who can't go wrong with Spielberg? I'll I'll I, I enjoy as we've pointed out all of his movies. They they all have a certain quality and. On a, on a final note about Spielberg, and I wish I would have saved the website because it was one of those that just kind of the algorithm when you're just in those rabbit holes. And this thing popped up and it was all these little secrets about the details that Spielberg has in these movies and in, in his movies. Oh, wow. And it and it was I, I will if I find it, I will share it with one of you guys and you guys can read about it. It wasn't clickbait or anything it was all on one page it took a little while to scroll through it but it had so many neat little nuggets of information that was just just fabulous like one in particular was um from jurassic park and i can't think of his name ned was it ned the computer yeah, guy yeah oh yeah the nah, 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 you didn't say the magic word yeah yes him. Oh yeah. When you look at his three outfits in the movie, your guys are remembering it right now. Oh yeah. His three outfits. They are based off of three characters from the movie Goonies. Oh yeah, I knew you that. Have, wow. You, you have Chunk with the Hawaiian shirt. You have yeah. Mouth with the tan jacket and the and the colored shirt underneath, and then you have Mikey with the yellow raincoat. That's awesome. Wow. It, That's, it, it, and it is. And it's 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 either somebody working with Spielberg, but I highly doubt it. It has to be Spielberg just saying, you know what? I want to pay tribute to to this. I want to do this in this movie. And it's just like it's mind blowing. And and of course, Duel is one of the few movies that did not have John Williams do the score. Um, yep. And that's because he just had not had that working relationship yet. But aside from that, uh that's all I really have. So. Oh, you so always good. bring it, sir. He is, how, yeah. how much, Greg, how much would you pay to go to a class with Stephen teaching, like, just not not even, like, how to apply it, just him, to, like, tidbits of him talking? I would pay good money just to hear I, him ramble. Oh, for sure. I, I, in all honesty, I wouldn't even have to say a word. He's just one of those people that I would just, I don't want a time lim limit, obviously no more than a day. Because that would wear anybody out being with me. But I would just love to just sit there and just talk to him. I, not even about movies, just about whatever he'd want to talk about. Yeah. And just have an organic, natural conversation with him. Because, yeah, if I was to run across him, I'd be one of those, just like Matt, just put insert my foot right in the mouth. Yeah. And I would end up <laughs> spoiling it and not even knowing it. But, yeah, he's just one of those guys that just... He is an, I just view him as an inspiration. And that might be a cliche of being a fan of movies, but Steven Spielberg has, he worked his way up. He worked hard. He knows his craft like, like none other. He's in the top 10 for me of directors yeah. that don't even, it's not just that he knows directing and directors, but he appreciates other directors and their films for the right reasons and not for just to just to pad his resume. Spielberg is Spielberg. And um, 
I think I may have shared it with you guys previously about Steven Soderbergh with his black and white cut mm-hmm. of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is just absolutely fascinating. So wow. you have Steven Soderbergh, who idolizes Steven Spielberg, and he did this black and white cut of Raiders of the Lost Ark just to pay tribute to Steven Spielberg. There's no dialogue, it's just music. But Steven Soderbergh added a background music, if you will, to accentuate the points in the movie that he liked the most. So when it's building tension, the music is building. It's it's really a fascinating retrospect of Raiders of the Lost Ark wow. in its finest in its finest way. And if you want, I can share that with you guys if I haven't. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just I just love promoting it because I just think it's just the neatest thing. Um, for anyone, especially if you're a fan of Spielberg or just even a cinephile, it's just something just the neat, neat to see. Even if you just watch the, and it is the whole movie. It's not just five minutes. It's the entire movie, and even just the intro is really fascinating. So that's so yeah, cool. I will share that. I will share yeah. that when this episode drops. I will. I will share it. So absolutely, that's cool. That's cool. So thank you for that, sir. So. And Jackson, where can they find you online, buddy? Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Kane underscore Hero12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero12. Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at Kane Hero, one word. And from there, you can find my YouTube channel and a bunch of different links. Um, yeah, but uh, you can see my review of a, of a new release, Monster Hunter, if you want to if you want to read that. Uh, I talk about the CGI Catman in the movie, so that's an interesting <laughs> point. Uh, but uh, yeah, you can you can find me all those places, and uh, looking forward to hearing from you. Yeah, and uh, I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd as Pastor Matt R. So, folks, thank you for listening and. Jackson, do you want to tell everyone what our next episode is going to be about with Mr. Trey Whetstone? Yes, I can't wait. So this has been a long time coming. We've been trying to set this up, but we didn't know quite what the format would be. Um, so Trey Whetstone, he's been on before. I think he was on to talk about giallos. He's been a patron our, for a long time. On Argento, um, our tribute to Argento. Yes. So uh, he's coming back. And we are going to talk about international horror. And that seemed like kind of a broad topic. You know, that seemed like it would be like in a Land of the Creeps, like six-hour episode if we just talked <laughs> about international horror. So yeah. we decided to, to limit it a little bit. We're going to be doing three movies between three of us. And we're each going to be doing a movie from a different country. We'll talk about our movie in a little bit of context from uh, the place it comes from, what was going on in the scene uh, around then. And, uh, yeah, I think it'll be really cool. We've, we've uh, pretty much all picked out our movies and what, where we're going to do. Um, and Trey always brings it, just like Greg. So it's going to be a great episode. Absolutely. So, all right, folks. Jackson, say goodbye to the good people. Uh, goodbye, and remember to check that radiator hose. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very important. All right, folks, until next time, remember that the family that watches horror together slays together. Once again, I want to thank the great people over on Patreon, Dave Becker, Greg Bench, Dan George, Ian Urza, Kevin Corpy, Ashley Pinkard, Blake Pobst, Joel Robertson, Brian Scott, Amy Swan, and Trey Whetstone. You guys are the reason we're able to come together to do this podcast throughout the pandemic, uh, PhD programs, and film school scouting. Uh, knowing that someone out there is actively invested in us motivates us to really deliver, so I can't thank you guys enough. 
As you all know, there's an open invitation to come on the show anytime, and I just want you guys to know how much we appreciate you. So look forward to another episode coming next week, and until then, I really hope you're able to make some time for some good movies. Um, all right, that's it. You're the best, you're the best. See you guys. Radiator hoses. I'll do that. Take a look at my snakes if you have time.